Please have that passage open in front of you in Mark 10. And really it's to consider this question that we find in verse 17. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And you know, I'm absolutely convinced that it is the most important question which anyone could ever ask on this earth. What must I do? What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And you know, when people are brought to see life with a right perspective, when eternity is brought to their view, when they realize that there is more beyond this life, when they realize that there is a God whom they are accountable to, and their great need of a Savior, you know, that is the question they always ask. You know, you think on the day of Pentecost, you know, as Peter preaches that powerful gospel message, you know, what do the people say? Acts 2, 37, men and brethren, what shall we do? It's the same question. The most serious and important question which addresses this vital issue that faces all of us tonight. Shall we in the end get to heaven? Shall we in the end know that salvation, that wonder? In the end, will I be saved or will I be lost? You know, if for a moment we could see the glory, redeemed brethren in eternity, what would they be rejoicing in? What would they be singing about? Well, you've just sung about it yourself. It would be about entering glory in heaven and redemption. And above all, it would be Christ and what he has done and the wonder of his person. You know, it's more wonderful than we can really fathom. And then more solemnly, if we could see those in that awful place of eternal hell and torment and hear their cries, you know, what would they desire? You know, just some moments to hear the gospel, they reject it. You know, our text is the most serious and most important question we can ever consider. And it shows you, you know, my friends, it shows you just how foolish this world is. And how broken and how ruined it is because how many people in this world are actually asking this question that this man asks of Jesus Christ? You know, the reality is, you know, what are all the people really busy talking about? Well, they're talking about their money or their possessions or their relationships or the trivia of celebrity or media or, or sport. And this question is nowhere near their thinking. You know, we're living in a a messed up world where so many have lost all sense, all proportion. They have no regard, no awareness of the seriousness and the gravity of the things of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm asking you this night to pay heed to this question. Because this question will come back to you in that, that dying day. If you're able to say, you know, with a good conscience that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as as your Savior, as your Lord, then you'll find great comfort then. But if you know nothing of the Savior, you know, in that, that terrible dying day, if you have no saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, with great concern for you, I would say that in the face of death, this question will come to you and it will bring only terror and the realization of the emptiness of all that you've been clinging to in this vain world. And so for this brief time tonight, I plead with you to take the opportunity to consider this question that is uttered by this certain man who comes to Jesus. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? How can I get right with God? How can I be sure that my sins are covered and that when I die, I will be safe and I will be to glory and to be with him? You know, 
So let's consider this. Now, I want you to see that there's an encouraging start about this man. You know, consider the man. It's a promising start. Notice a number of things about him. Look at verse 17. He comes running to Jesus. You know, one came running. There's an urgency about him. You know, he he is intent on, on getting to the Lord Jesus and also addresses him with the right respect. He says, good teacher. And so it all seems a promising start. You know, if a person comes running to ask a a question like that, it shows their their eagerness, their enthusiasm. You know, people run to lots of things. But I wonder, how many did you pass on your way into church this evening running to church, running to be under the sound of the Word of God? I would imagine not many. But this young man comes running. He's determined and he's focused. It seems good. And then verse 17, not only does he come running to Jesus, but he kneels before him. You know, he he comes running and then he kneels down before him. And this man is on his knees in full view of everyone else. And he's not concerned about that. You know, he's not concerned about what other people think because this issue is too important for him. You know, most people would be ashamed to be seen on their knees doing anything like that or, or prayer or worship or whatever. Not this man. He goes down on his knees before the Lord full of reverence and awe and respect. All good signs. And no doubt those who are looking on would have felt, well, you know, this man, he's an ideal candidate to become a Christian. It all seems to be falling into place. And then not only that, but we're told that he's a man of status and The other Gospels also emphasize this. In the eyes of this world, you know, this man would be an excellent recruit, as it were. You know, he was young. He was rich. He had status. He had authority. You know, he had money. And if he became a Christian, you know, he could hear people thinking, well, how he could use, you know, his means and how he could influence others. And that'd be so valuable. You can hear people thinking over in that way. And he was young. You know, there's so much emphasis on getting the young under the influence of the gospel. And and rightly so. And this man is young. and So much potential. And then he's a ruler. He's he's not just an ordinary citizen like most of us, but he's influential. Got status and presence. And so with all this, he he seems like a perfect candidate. A a lifetime before him means and a a ruler, reverential eagle, full of enthusiasm. Everything seems to be on his side. And in addition to that, he had a good understanding of what really matters in life. You know, the question exposes that this is man who, who has been thinking. He knows that there is such a place as heaven, and he asks how he can be sure to get there. And that's a good question to ask. It's a tragedy today, you know, that so many people and so many young people have no thought about eternity. They don't think. Don't think of the future. You know, some you know, have a morbid fascination with death. We've seen that's a great concern. But they have a little thought about the, the reality of eternity beyond. People are, are living only for now. John Friday, we saw tens of thousands headed to a festival not too far away from here when we visited over in Newquay, went to see the beach mission down there. And, you know, we overheard some of the conversations about what these young people were doing. And what they thought life was. And it was heartbreaking. Heartbreaking to see the things that they were getting involved in. The things that that they thought, you know, that this is life. But it's all so empty. 
And there are consequences for them both now and also in eternity. And we also saw numbers being taken away in tears. You see, the emptiness of life. But the reality is that many don't want to think about that. They just want to you know, absorb themselves in these things. And they want to think seriously. It's a tragedy that, you know, there are those who get bound up in these things. And I heard one preacher speak of an awful situation a number of years ago in Paris. And uh, there were these girls about 14 years old. And they went to the top of a high-rise block of flats and they, they tied their wrists together. And they both stood on the edge of this, this high-rise block of flats with this tremendous drop before them. And they'd already contacted all their friends to, to come and watch them go to the top. And so this, this crowd had, had gathered at the bottom to see them. And then they jumped and they fell to their death. It's tragic. And when they went in and they saw the place where the girls had been, they'd left a note behind. And it says this, life is just not worth living. And it's utterly devastating. Heartbreaking. What a, what a tragedy. Now, how sad it is when people have no thought of what happens to us after death. People, you know, don't realize, they don't know that we've got a soul and that at death the soul leaves the body and will go to heaven or hell and there's no in-between. There's no return journey. When we leave this world, we, we don't come back. But this young man, he comes and he's got all these promising things about him and he's asking the right question. What a thing it is to have inquirers like that. Pastor, what must I do to be saved? What a marvelous opportunity. So encouraging. So much appeared to be going in the, the right direction. And he comes to the right place. He, he comes to the Lord Jesus. You know, here you are this night. And I know most of you. I don't know all of you. But I wonder, are there those here who are asking that question in their heart and soul? You know, have you come because you know and you're hoping that you, you should find something to give you hope in this world. You know, to give you that peace that, that you're right with God, to have life, an eternal life, life in its fullness. You know, maybe you're here this night and you're, you're desperately searching. And let me say, if you're here and you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, then please pay attention to his word. And plead with God that he will give you the grace to believe this gospel and to see that true life, lasting life, is bound up in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, it all starts so well. It all seems so positive, but it very quickly changes. And I want you to see that from this promising start, it then becomes a very sad encounter. You know, we, we might have much hope for this young man, but we see that very quickly it begins to fall apart. And it's so sad to see that this man is soon exposed. Your friends, being here for a number of years now, what makes gospel ministry so sad? You know, there are times when people appear and they show real promise for a while. You know, they seem to show real interest in the things of God and they seem to be serious for a while, but then they... They turn out to be a disappointment and they, they walk away. They, they show real interest. They seem to be going in a good direction, come for a while, but then they drop off, go back into the world. You know, perhaps they've listened to the gospel and they've been around the Lord's people, but then back into the world. And it's so sad. 
And this man comes with all the enthusiasm. But there's a major, major problem in his understanding. And the Lord Jesus, you know, in the way he can, he exposes his heart. And he says, verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Now, why does the Lord Jesus say that? Well, let me say very clearly what he is not saying. Because in this age, there have been some who've at worst misrepresented this passage and at worst twisted it. And they argue that Jesus, by responding like that, is saying that he is admitting to this young man that he's not perfect, and therefore that he's not God. Well, that is a nonsense. The Lord Jesus is fully God and fully man. He is totally perfect. He is absolutely good. He wasn't confessing any imperfection in himself. No, the reason that the Savior said this was to challenge this man's understanding of the goodness that God requires for a person to have eternal life. Really, the Lord Jesus cuts through everything. If we are to have eternal life, how good must we be? You know, the Lord Jesus was saying to this young man, do you realize how good a person has to be to get to heaven? And so he, he throws this man back to examine his own heart and to examine himself. You know, we have to understand that there is no getting to heaven without looking into our own consciences and scrutinizing our own lives. And the Lord Jesus challenges this man. He exposes this man. How good do you think you have to be? Now, people very rarely ask themselves that question. But you know, in times when we've been involved in outreach or speaking with those around, you know, if you get ones who are willing to talk, they usually have some idea about how good they think they have to be. And when it gets down to it, usually they have ideas like this. They say, well, you know, I'm not perfect, but, you know, I've tried my best to live a good life. And, you know, when you put it all together, the good outweighs the bad. So when you take all that into account, you know, I'm sure it's good enough in the end. You know, I'm sure it's good enough, you know, for God and to get me into heaven. And they believe that God will accept them on the basis of their, their best efforts. And while it's not perfect, well, it'll be good enough. But my friends, that's just not true. The Bible is very clear. That's why Jesus asks this man what he does, to expose thinking like that. Another idea is, well, you know, I think I'll be okay for heaven because, you know, I haven't committed any, any really big sins. You know, I'm not perfect, but, you know, I'm not a real sinner, not like those others. You know, I've never murdered anybody, you know. I might tell the, the odd white lie, but on the whole, you know, I'm, I'm quite an honest person, and, you know, that'll be good enough. And what they do is they measure themselves against those that they think are really bad to make them feel more secure that the standard that they have got is, is good enough. It's good enough. And the Lord Jesus, he exposes that. And notice that he challenges this man using, you know, part of the, the Ten Commandments. He says, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He, he summarizes them. And notice he focuses on the ones which impact others. And this man is confident even when faced with these things. It shows that he doesn't understand his own heart. And he answers the Lord and he says to him, he says, Lord, you know, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. You see, really, he thought he was good enough. You know, there are millions of people like that who think that in the end, they'll be good enough 
And this is the difficult thing which Jesus Christ is doing with this man. He is getting him to see that God's standard for getting to heaven is far higher than what he thought. You know, I remember many years ago now when I was at secondary school, in the summer term we used to do athletics in PE. Good old days. And uh, for the high jump we had a frame with a movable bar and a crash mat behind. And uh, they used to start the jumping height very low. And anybody could get over that and they would feel okay about themselves. And then they'd start to move it a little bit higher, a little bit higher, until the, the best jumpers in the year were left. And, you know, I felt good to clear those later jumps and to be the last ones in. But it wasn't the days of encouragement, maybe, like that we've got now. And so our teachers used to take great joy in setting the bar so high that nobody could get over. And they used to take great delight in that. And, you know, people think that God's standard for heaven is so low, you know, that you can just, you know, almost hop over. It's just going to be enough to, to have a little bit of goodness. That'll be enough to get me over. But the Bible says, no, God's standard is impossibly high. And not one of us can clear it. And we have to keep his law in absolute perfection, in thought and word and deed. That's the standard. Perfection. And this young man needed to see that, and so do we. You know, if you're here this night and, you know, you think that it's going to be okay in the end and that you're doing enough, friend, you need to get rid of that idea. It's delusional. Even when faced with the law, you know, this man, he thinks he's good enough. And so the Lord Jesus, and notice that the Lord Jesus has a heart for this man. He says to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, follow me. You see, he brings the challenge of the gospel. And what is this young man's response? Well, he's sad at this. All of a sudden, all that he was relying on, all that he thought was good enough, is stripped away. And actually, the God that he is worshipping is his own possessions and his own status. The man walks away sad because his money is his God. It was more important for him to cling to this world's riches than eternal riches in Christ. And you know, the sadness of this man was matched by that of Jesus and, you know, he recognized how easy it was to rely on possessions and lose sight of, of what really matters. What will it profit a man if he gained the whole world and forfeits his soul? You know, too often we are too guilty. We were looking at it this morning of finding our security in stuff. You know, in our pursuits, we so easily, as one song puts it, we place value on the worthless while disregarding what is actually priceless. Nothing you or I have to do is sufficient to pay our way through death and into eternal life. And the Lord Jesus shows this, this poor man that God's standard is perfection, this perfect righteousness, and that he in fact had never kept the commandments of God at all because the commandment says that we are to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength and mind, and our neighbor as ourselves. and yet this man's God was his money. And he didn't even know it. Friend, would you be willing to give up all for the Savior? You know, maybe you're here tonight, and for all I know, you've never been able to profess faith in Christ and one of the reasons is you're clinging to those idols in your heart. You've never sought the Lord Jesus with all your strength, with all your heart. 
You know, the biblical principle is that we, we seek God and we find him when we search for him with all our heart, when we realize that he is everything and that we need him. And to be prepared to lose everything to get him, to be prepared to, to lose money and friends and popularity and entertainment, all that belongs to this life, to be prepared to lose that because Christ is everything, because Christ is worth it. You know, that is the way. Set aside everything else. Set aside whatever hinders you. And you will have treasure in heaven. And Jesus says, come, take up the cross, follow me. And notice that then the Lord Jesus, when this man goes away, he turns around to his disciples and he says, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for those who are so gripped by the sinful, broken world and the sinfulness of their own hearts. And they're astonished. And the Lord says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, naturally it is impossible. But when the disciples say, well, who can be saved? With men it is impossible, but not with God. And that's the hope. That's the hope. You know, the danger of idols such as wealth are that they make us proud and self-reliant and we forget that God and God alone is the one who saves. You know, you can't be saved on your own terms or with your own resources. You can't deal with your sin. You can't change your heart. You can't make yourself right with the holy God. You know, even the, the wealthiest can't cast off the dependency on riches and their love for this world and their selfishness. With men, salvation is impossible. People can't save themselves. And you know, by exposing all of this, the Lord Jesus takes out all works religion. He, he lays the axe to its root. But God, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly. God is able to do what is impossible to men. And that's wonderful news. And that's what we proclaim, that God can change hearts. God can intervene. God can save. God can draw. God can convict. All of grace. He can overcome the, the grip of sin and the grip of riches. All of those things. But only God can change the heart. You know, the Holy Spirit, as one explains, can incline even the richest of men to seek treasure in heaven. He can dispose even kings to cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus and count all things lost for the sake of the kingdom of God. No man's place or circumstances can shut him out from the kingdom of God. Let us never despair of anyone's salvation because God is able. God is able to save. And you know, when real salvation comes to a person, God is the one who gives the life. God gives the conviction and the repentance and the faith and the trust to turn from sin, to follow the Savior. You know, we sang it together in our second hymn, Thou must save, and thou alone. It's a stunning hope. And it means that there's hope for even those that seem the hardest and the most unlikely. Because God is able. You know, maybe you're here tonight and there's one upon your heart. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a a colleague or a neighbor, and you think, well, there's just no way that they're ever going to be saved. With God, all things are possible. And we must trust in that, my friends. It's our only hope 
This is the only way. It's the only gospel. It's the one thing which enables me to stand before you in this pulpit with any confidence, not in myself, not in any of those things, but in the word of God and the power of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And Jesus makes it so clear. God's standard is perfection, nothing less. No one will get to heaven without perfect righteousness. And that's a very serious thing because it is impossible for us. We are ruined in our nature from the outset. The slightest wrong in our lives disqualifies us. And we're all in that position. Rebels, sinners, not righteous. All our righteousness, filthy rags. But the hope is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The gospel demands perfection, obedience to the law. But the amazing thing is it provides it for us in him. God's standard is unchanging, but he has made the way to meet that required standard. Where do we get it? In Jesus Christ. By believing in the Lord Jesus, he has done everything necessary to deal with our sin, to give us the righteousness we so desperately need. And by his perfect, holy obedience to God, he observed every part of the law. He kept it. He fulfilled it. He alone could do it. And not only that, but he died that atoning death on the cross. And his blood atones, it cleanses, it removes, it washes away the filth of all who believe in him. And so we rejoice that Christ is our hope. Christ is the answer to our deepest need. And in Christ, we have everything if we trust him and believe in him. You know, the only way for a person to get to heaven, the only way for a person to be accepted with the Holy God is to be forgiven through the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and to be dressed in the righteousness of Christ, the robe he has woven in time through his saving work and which his people will wear throughout all eternity. There's no other way. And you know, you might be here tonight and you think, well, you know, I'm, I'm a decent person. I'm a moral person. You might even think you're a spiritual person, religious person, whatever but it won't get you to heaven. And this is the realization which this young man did not have. The realization that we will never get to heaven with anything we do. It must be by believing in the Christ who died for us as the only savior of sinners. The one who was obedient absolutely to the will of God. Our hope is not in what we do, but it is in what Christ has done. And you know, what Christ has done becomes mine when I believe in him because it's given over to me, a ruined sinner. It is mine when I believe in him. He is my righteousness. He is my hope. He is my savior. Do you know, I cannot fathom being outside of Christ anymore. You could take anything from me, but do not take Christ from me. He's everything. And if you don't have him tonight, you're in a desperate condition. And we long for you and we pray for you that you would turn from your sin and trust him. You know, Martin Luther, the reformer from years ago, he came to see it. He says, you can't get to heaven that way. Speaking of all the works and all the rest of it, he said, you can't get to heaven that way. There's no gospel. There's no good news there whatsoever. The only way to get to heaven is by believing in the crucified Savior, 
trusting in the righteousness which Christ obtained by his holy life and the blood that he shed for me upon the cross. You know, if I don't believe in him, I think I'm as good as I want. It'll never be enough. And I'll never have eternal life. You know, what should have happened to this young man is this. He should have come to an end of himself. He should have said, oh Lord, I can't do what you're asking me to do. I can't do these things. I can't do it in my own strength. Lord, I I see my failing. I see my, my shortcoming. I see that I actually haven't kept the law and I need you. And I'm desperate, Lord, and I need your grace. I need your salvation. The Lord wouldn't have turned away such a cry. You know, if you're here tonight and you're not a believer and you're worried about your own soul, and I hope you are if you're not a believer, and if you say, well, the demands are too much for me. You know, I, I, I can't do this. Well, that's the point. You can't. You need him. And that's why you're to cry out, Lord, I can't do these things. Lord, please intervene. Please save me. Please take hold of me. And you know, he will. Because faith is impossible to us. Jesus says that with men, it is impossible. We can't believe of ourselves. It's impossible. But that's why it's the gift of God. He gives it to us. You know, one of the early church fathers, Augustine, said a very striking thing. His prayer was this, Lord, grant me what you command and command what you will. In other words, he was saying, Lord, give me what I need. Give me the grace and the strength to trust you and to follow you and to do what you require because it's impossible without you. And this foolish man, he walked away from Christ. And where is that rich young man today? Well, he could not say that the Lord Jesus turned him away or had no concern for him. As we said, the Lord Jesus looked upon him and loved him. The Lord Jesus was full of compassion for the souls of people like you and me. His heart is for sinners like you and me to be saved. And here it is. The answer is not in you. It's in the Lord Jesus. It's very simple. You can't save yourself. You need a savior. And God in his mercy has provided the greatest, the most glorious, the unique savior. There's none like him. And would you not come to him this night? Would you not at last lay down all of your rebellion and your trust in self and things and whatever else? Lay it all aside and come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need you. I know that I can't get to heaven without you. I know that I can't be right with God without you. Lord, please save me. And when you come in that manner, you'll see that all the while... God has been working in you to bring you to that point. His love drawing you. But the important thing this night is this. You can't save yourself. But the Lord will save you if you believe in Jesus. It's that simple. That's the gospel. And it's no secret what God can do. And whoever comes to him, he will never turn away. And so if you feel your need this night, You see your sin. Don't delay any longer. Come to this glorious Savior. Don't be like this rich young ruler who went away sad. We pray that you would go on your way rejoicing this night because you know 
you've been forgiven. And you know that you've been embraced by the Savior. And you have a glorious hope both now and forever. Friend, if I could only impress upon you the wonder of knowing Jesus. And I pray that by God's grace you would come to know that for yourself. And that tonight all will be well with you. Because you're not looking anywhere else but to Jesus, the only Savior. All praise be to his name. Amen.